Welcome back to Wake Up Winden, where I am currently covering The Beforeners. And today I'm talking about Season 1, Episode 5. Really good episode again. The season continues to deliver in the penultimate episode of Season 1. We've got a huge fight scene with Tor Hund. We've got the consequences of Lars's actions coming back to bite him. An epic confrontation with Wenke and Al Fielder. This episode has a lot going on for it, so we'll talk about it all going through the uh, the entirety of the episode, break it down into some different ty- uh, into different plot points, into different parts, talk about some questions I have going into the finale, and we will go from there. So um, again, I'm your host, uh, Brian Hickey. It's good to be with you all. I've covered Dark in the past. That's why the show's named Wake Up Winden. So we've talked about all of Dark, and uh, that's, the, of course, the show on Netflix, um, which I actually got some vibes from Dark in this episode um, when we go to Dr. And and his farm. So I'll talk about that when we get there. But, man, a lot going on in this episode. A lot of things changed, uh, including Lars's employment and Lars's standing with his family. So let's, uh, let's start to break it all down. We should talk about the backdrop of the episode before we get any further, because at the beginning of the episode... We have an attack on the synchronization of the world's clocks, which uh, the first thing I thought of was, can that happen? Because it was causing all sorts of chaos, and I don't know, maybe it's just like they're like a super sensitive world uh, when it comes to time, since we have you know, these time holes and we have people popping up from different time periods, people, think they're, people thinking they were sent by God. But yeah, there's this attack on the world's clocks, and it's messing everything up from cell phones to microwaves, right? And it's like utter chaos at the beginning of the episode. You know, we get our standard shot of Lars taking his eye drops, you know, as he does, and <laughs> he is going to work. I've I've got, like, his whole work route down, I feel like. you got to go through that tunnel, you got to go down under that tunnel, end up pulling up to pulling up on the like on the hill up to the police station you see a lot of it every week i'm starting to get all the beats of lars's commute to work um but you know he's been getting more and more reckless with his temproxate abuse you know leaving it around for his daughter or her friend to find that was uh you know earlier on in the season today he's like straight up doing temproxate at work and el fielder's like walking up on him like dude what the what the what the fuck man and it's really jarring to see, you know, him be so brazen about it. And it is uh, going to come back to bite him. Not because, you know, he gets caught by anybody there besides Al Fielder, but because of Al Fielder's recklessness, she gets in a confrontation with Wenke early on in the episode. And this uh, sets a lot of motion, so we'll talk about this here. And... You know, I'm going to date the podcast a little bit, but this is coming the week after the 2022 Oscars. And, you know, Wenke really was being a jerk. And I don't want to make like a one-to-one comparison like Wenke to Chris Rock, but uh, Elf Fielder is really pissed, right? Wenke is saying that she knows all about Erd, and she's basically kind of threatening her job, to be honest, because apparently... Warriors cannot be cops, and she knows that she's not a farmer's wife, and she jokingly calls her farmer's wife, and she also calls. <laughs> this is this is this is kind of. I was just thinking this that she calls Erd 
like I call her. Like I, 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 I don't think I'm saying it right. It looks like U R D, but she really pronounces the R in it. And I was trying to listen to what Elfielder said, and she didn't pronounce the R as much. So I was wondering if even the way one K was pronouncing her name might have been an insult. And I don't want to be insulting to you know any Norwegian listeners. I hope I'm doing the best I can with the names. I'm struggling a bit, as you can tell. But I did notice that the way she said it was different, so I don't know if anybody has any insight into that, but wakeupwinden at gmail.com if you do. So we have this this fight going down, and like she's saying all this nasty stuff to her, um, being really you know abusive to her, and then she gets in the car, and she's taking her sweet, sweet time as she's getting back into the car. should mention they're at the parking lot. You have one of those situations where you have like the um the thing that comes down and when you have to pay like a ticket it won't let you out until you pay and they're right in front of that you have Wenke in front of Elfielder and Wenke is you know checking her mirrors she's like cleaning off her mirrors and she's just done all this terrible stuff I think she even does she even flip her the bird I think I think she might have flipped her the bird um and not to say that this is the right thing to do but you understand why Elfielder's so upset but you can see that, you know, violence isn't the answer. Uh, the consequences that happen after this are dire for, you know, for her coworker and for the case, really, because they are both the only ones that are really believing in the connection um, between everything they've discovered. Um, Wenke is very disbelieving. The chief is utterly clueless. He doesn't know what he's doing. You kind of need the team of Elfielder and Lars working together at all cylinders. And... That's not going to be happening at the end of the episode because of Lars' actions, but, you know, directly related to this run-in with Wenke. So after this, you know, you get a cutscene, you have a loud, loud crash, and Lars is coming up on the scene, and it's, you know, she has totally rammed her in the car, and <laughs> Elfielder has a great look on her face, like, oops, like, I didn't mean to, and... They actually kind of suspend the investigation because the case is so important, and mostly because Lars is sticking up for, uh, he's sticking up for Elfilder. So he he it's like kind of two against one. Wenke comes in and like the biggest neck brace of all time. Don't know if she's milking it or not. I don't think she's wearing it later on in the episode, so that could have been a sign. But you know Lars is sticking up for her in this case, and later on in the episode she's going to repay Lars by trying to stick up for him too. Um, and eventually Lars finally owns up to his actions. And probably a little too late. Especially where his family's concerned. You get that heartbreaking scene. It's only one scene with Gregor's. You don't get Lars's daughter at all in this episode. But Lars goes over to Gregor's house and it's his turn. He has custody of Ingrid on the weekends. And so he's going to pick her up. And Gregor's is saying, no, absolutely not. I will note that Marie is still not in this episode. I don't know if the actress had to really go away because... It was Gregor's at the door, and you'd think Marie would be involved in this, but Gregor's is the one who answers, and Gregor's is uh, really pissed, and we talked about in the last episode how they were, it was really cool, they were becoming really good friends, and they were really having some tender moments together, and all of that is just completely ruined in this episode, and it really sucks, and I was mentioning in the last episode how Gregor's would be pissed if he knew about that Lars was going to be lying to him. I didn't think it would come up so soon, but it comes up in this episode, because one of their other friends, you remember there was two other friends in the bendover videos, and one of the friends told Gregor's where the temproxide came from. 
So Lars is caught. And he's so mad. Gregor's can't believe that he would introduce the filth to it. And Lars says some pretty messed up stuff. He's like, you can't even get, you can't get over your son, uh, your dead son, which is really a low blow. He said that because Gregor's called him a lesser man. And like, to be honest, he kind of was in this case, right? He let his, you know, juvenile daughter have access to Temproxate, which is like we mentioned before, heroin for your eyes. So, you know, not exactly, uh, not exactly a great thing for Lars to be leaving out in the open. So, He's really dug himself into a hole here uh, with his family and then back at work since those drugs. He keeps, I mean, I guess he keeps, he keeps, uh, he keeps, he keeps some in his nightstand. He keeps some in his squad car and he totally forgot about that because they investigate Elfielder's squad car because they share a squad car. And I guess that was the one she rammed it with, uh, she rammed Wenke with because later on in the episode when they do that investigation, they find the temproxate in the glove compartment and they originally like blame Elf Fielder because they know she's a foreigner. They know she has access to temproxate apparently when you come through. And you know, there's the stereotype we've seen it um, in the couple episodes prior when Gregor's is you know accused of supplying the temproxate. And probably another reason why he's pissed, right? He uh, Lars could have st- stuck up for him there. It's interesting who Lars is, Lars is choosing to stick up for. Elfielder, really. He he. At the at the end of the day, he's trying to save Elfielder, so they blame Elfielder. Uh, she even gives them blood. I, I like how she says that. She's like, "I let them take my blood," and so they did a blood test, but she didn't need to do that because Lars turned himself in. He resigned, and where does the case go from there? I don't really know. Um, we will have to see about that. So if Lars is going to be gone from work, where does that leave Elfielder? She's kind of in a bad spot, right? She has no one to trust at work. She says that. She says as much to Lars. She tells him, you're the only one here. You sleep in now of all days, and you're the only one that could back me up at work. You're the only one that I trust. And now that he's gone, she has no one. She'll even be more of a target. So even though the chief, you know, likes the diversity she brings to the staff, He's not really in her corner, ever. You know, he only likes, like, the positives of her, and he's not really trying to help her through the negative parts, at least in my eyes. So, the other reason she's in a bad spot is because this harbor cop that has been kind of a reoccurring plot throughout the season, a pretty minor one, you know, blink and you miss it. But she's going to be dating, um, she's been, you know, she's been sexting this guy throughout the season earlier on. They they had um, uh, talks about that. But in this one, they're going to meet for Mead, but instead they meet up to hook up and they go to the trailer and that Elfielder lives in. And after they have sex, she's asleep and he seems to take a hair from her, from her head and he puts it in a bag and, you know, God knows what he's going to do with that. I'm trying to find the connection. I don't know if it's very obvious. I certainly don't know why he took the hair. I don't know if it's... You know, I could speculate, is it something to do with, like, time travel? Does he need to compare it to something? Is it key to any part of time travel? I don't know why he would need that. So, is it further testing? <laughs> For, like, hair testing? Because he's working with the cops? This Harper cop is very shady. Of course, it comes to a head at the end of this episode. But I was thinking about this as I was, like, re-looking through my notes. And earlier on in the episode... 
there is mention of uh, well, we have a press conference, actually. We have a press conference with the chief, and he totally bungles it, as he is normally doing with the media. He's not doing a good job. The reporter from the 1800s is always on his case, and I love it. I actually wish we got more of this character. I think she's really good. And she's questioning him. She's like, are prehistoric people safe because the serial killer seems to be targeting them? And the chief has no answer, even though he knows, and later on he says to his boss that, you know, they got their information wrong. So... You know, you have that going on, right? And anyway, after the press conference, the chief is complaining to his boss. And he's all he's all like, there has to be, like, this inside source. Like, I don't know how they know. I don't know how they know. The media knows to ask all these questions. And going back through my notes, I was like, was that the harbor cop? And I don't know. I think that's, like, the biggest clue I have. Maybe he's working with the media. And to what end, I don't know. But definitely something's going on there. It's really ominous, the end of the episode. So, um, yeah, we'll have to see what happens in the f finale with that. But uh, he finally, the this storyline finally paid off. And, well, at least is starting to lay breadcrumbs that maybe it will pay off. We'll have to see. All right. So, continuing on from here. We talked about the character ramifications and, like, kind of what's going on in the personal lives of Alf. Alfielder and Lars, but what's been going on with the case in this episode? So they're tracking Trina, and Trina is the pilgrim assassin. She is the one that knows how to operate the drone, one of ten people in Norway who can do such a thing, and she is the one who killed Navin. She's the one who is seemingly very dangerous, right? So with the cops, they're digging into Trina's backstory, and we find out that she was part of NATO, she was discharged at some point, but they don't really know why. She had PTSD because she was one of the um, operators um, of the of a drone in Libya, and you can imagine, you know, the horrors that would go on uh, with drone strikes. And it gets brought up later in the episode because they go to visit her psychologist, and the psychologist has all sorts of clues. I was personally wondering if that was a breach of doctor-patient confidentiality. I don't know if it is can be broken with the police. That would seem to defeat the point of confidentiality, but I guess, you know, the law has a long reach. So anyway, the psychologist is telling him everything. He even gives them audio tapes of private sessions, from what I can tell. So I don't know. I don't know about that, but uh, I could, could totally just be naive about that. I don't know. Anyway, they we find out that Trina has bought a story, um, excuse me, let me back up for a second before we get to the storage unit. So Trina, she was dating this guy, Dr. And, very strange name, but Dr. And, and he, they, I think they met in therapy from what I can understand. And through group therapy, he is the one who got her so anti-technology or who got her to be, you know, more invested in the trans-temporal community. So what I was gathering from Dr. And is that he was from the 1800s, he was a scientist, and when he got to the modern times, he despised everything he saw so much, and he wanted to destroy all technology. He has some really interesting quotes throughout the episode, and he's a very scary guy. I get, like, kind of a Charles Manson vibe from him, not that he looks like him or anything, but just, like, the farm and how creepy it was, and I think there were only women on his farm, so... 
it was just kind of giving me some Manson vibes. He's, uh, we've been talking about serial killers throughout the uh, uh, throughout the episode um, in this one, so just like very creepy, very uh, very scary guy. And I got to read a quote for you guys because I just thought it was really intense. And he says that science is a tumor that turns man into a flaccid, narcissistic pet. Thought that was super intense. And he goes on to talk about you know, the negative aspects of technology, Hiroshima, internet pornography. And I just wrote, like, I kind of had, like, a Jim Gaffigan thought, like, oh, he's being negative. He has, like, some interesting theories, and <laughs> he says that God sent the foreigners to save man from the road to partition. And I kind of, like, I kind of get how you might think that if you were from the 1800s and you saw some, like, the horrible things that technology can do. And if you're growing up in, like, such a religious and zealous time that, yeah, I can kind of get how you would put two and two together. There's this, you know, phenomenon. So I, I thought that was interesting. Um, and I just thought, I, I, but he is, you know, completely scary and completely a dangerous man. He is, you know, seemingly, uh, are you competing with Ada? There, it's, it's, it's interesting because he takes Ada in, they talk about having the same goals, they're obviously not from the same corporation or entity because he's so anti-technology. He's upset with her because she used technology and uh, in the name of in the name of abolishing it. So it is really uh, really interesting that there's these like two factions that are that have the same goal but are using different means to an end. Anyway, how did Ada get there to Doctor And? Uh, I did not expect to see him in the story after they talked about the group therapy session. And, um, they, they played it. That's where we get all, like, that's where we get some of his quotes. Uh, but they play it for Elfielder and Lars. And anyway, uh, the next lead is they have a storage unit for, uh, for Ada. And that's the Pilgrim Assassin, Ada. And they follow her to the storage unit. They don't even follow her there. Coincidence. She actually, actually happened to be there like five minutes before them. Anyway, she's really smart. She gets wind that they're coming. She hears, she flees. Uh, they give up very, very quickly. Um, she really smokes them. She leaves them in their dust. And Lars and Elfielder, they have to settle for searching the storage, storage unit instead. Lars finds some interesting numbers that will come up at the end of the episode. And um, there's a lot going on. Uh, he has to look by himself because Elfielder is getting called away to Torhund, which we will get into in just a moment. So... Just to finish off the Trina, the Trina scenes, she goes to Doctor And, and he takes her in. She gets like captured by um, two women who are dressed very similarly to her. They take her to the farm. I was getting—I told you I was getting Charles Manson vibes, but a little bit crossed with a very specific point in uh, in the Netflix uh, show Dark, um, like season two, episode one, to be very specific, kind of the intro. When they're in the 1800s and the 1900s, in the early, I think like it's like late 1800s, and I think it's um, it's the it's like the first flashback of season two, and you're seeing like Germany in 1899, and it's like very pastoral, and that's the vibe I got obviously with Doctor And, but uh, yeah, he is gonna take Trina in, so they're gonna be putting their two heads together. She is, you know, putting her hand on his leg throughout the their conversation. She's very interested in him, and we'll have to see 
what these two can do together. It is a little bit scary because, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, tr this guy seems dangerous and Trina already has shown that she is ruthless and will not, uh, <laughs> she will not back down from anybody. Uh, the other thing, I forgot to mention the group therapy session ended because Trina showed military photos of what her drone strikes did to people and it was so horrible and you know you're already in a PTSD group therapy session you could imagine how bad it would be for anybody in there that would be reliving trauma like that so that was really messed up moving on we have to talk about Tor Hund who has has a roller coaster of an episode first of all he's like getting interviewed and hassled by a newspaper journalist and she wants to know, you know, is he Torhan? Can she give an, can he give an interview? And he kind of brushes it off. He's, you know, on his foodie route and he's ending up going to the office. And little does he know that there's an article already written about him and how he killed St. Olaf. And I can only imagine, I was like trying to like compare it to like U.S. history and we don't really have saints in American history. But I was thinking about this. What if, like, John Wilkes Booth, like, trans <laughs> transported in time? Like, when he was on the run. He was on the run for, like, a long period of time. And what if he did that while he was on the run? And he's in the modern day. And he starts working uh, for Uber Eats. And all of a sudden, Uber Eats discovers, holy shit, we got John Wilkes Booth working for us. These, this doesn't align with Uber Eats's morals and values. And they would obviously fire him. Um, but it's just wild to think about, about something like that. And the show actually goes there with, you know, Norwegian history. And I can only imagine, like, how, like, I, I, I just, like, I think it's just, like, an amazing storyline that they're coming coming with. And Torhund ends up getting fired for food. Yeah, I, was, I was trying to make the U.S. equivalent for it. But Torhund, he, he goes into work, and they're all reading the article, and they're probably scared. They're like, oh, this is St. Olaf. They killed St. Olaf. And... The boss is like a total boss, <laughs> if I may say so myself. She is smoking a cigarette while firing him, and she doesn't back down. She doesn't care that he's Torhan. She doesn't even care that he killed St. Olaf. She's like, give me back your uniform. I had no choice. <laughs> I like how he's like, a commander always has a choice right before he leaves and takes off the uniform and like leaves bare-chested through the, through the foodie office. So that was all... Um, you know, that was all, you know, it's, it's, I was going to say sad for Torhund, uh, you know, cause you wouldn't be sad for John Wilkes Booth and, but for Torhund, like, I don't know, like you feel a little bit of empathy for him, uh, especially like you see that he definitely cares about his wife. He actually says a really sweet thing about his wife, how they found each other in the darkness and their love guided them out of it. So I thought that was really sweet. And, um, you know, he's trying to provide for his family and since he lost the job, he somehow is getting roped into this underground fighting ring, and I don't know, like, how he got this contact. I'm, uh, that all happened very fast, but he's getting, like, sent a picture of the guy he's going to fight, and he's like, all right, I guess, I guess I have to do it. And I was getting, like, I was, like, flashbacks to 8 Mile, because he's in the bathroom, he's, like, throwing up before the fight. He comes out, and he's like, oh, man, I thought I was done with this shit. And now he's back in the ring, and... He has to fight this guy, Tobias the Savior, Hansen. 
and he has the biggest cross, both like he has one that he wears around his chest, and he's one tattooed on his chest, and he hangs it up in this very ceremonial way right after he prays. So he's got like his whole motif going, and he's uh, very much, you know, going through it. Meanwhile, our boy Tor is just like coming in this hoodie and like just ready to box, ready to knock, ready to throw fists. And he's gonna he's gonna fight pretty dirty. I, I don't know. I don't know if that should have been allowed. The ref is telling him to like shake hands. I guess not everything goes in this fight club. Um, but the ref is telling him to shake hands and he just punches them right in the face as they're gonna shake hands. So Tor gets the first hit. And you know, the fight scene is really great. You have so much going on. With Alfielder and Urd, they're, you know, yelling in the background. And some of it's, like, muted out, so you just see them screaming. And you see the passion on their face. Um, you have Tor's wife, who is, um, you know, just looking absolutely, you know, terrified for him. And he's really getting the shit kicked out of him at the beginning of the fight. And, you know, after the, you know, brief part where he's fighting dirty, he gets really hit hard. But, you know, the thing about Torhund is, you know, he might be down, but he's never out. And he gets roundhouse kicked, and I was writing in my notes, ooh, that's the KO. And I didn't think he was going to win this fight the way they were building it up, but shame on me. Because he does the same move, this is the third damn time he's done this move, where everybody thinks he's dead, the enemy thinks he's dead, then all of a sudden he rises up and just totally kicks ass like he ate a bunch of steroid sandwiches right when he was down or something like that. So, I did it, just for reference, he did it in the parking lot earlier in the season, you have a flashback where he did it on the battlefield, and then you have this instance here, where he, then he absolutely demolishes the savior, and he ends up getting the upper hand, he wins, it's this moment of triumph, at first he's like celebrating with Alfielder and Erd, but then he goes to see his wife, you know, who, who has helped him through the darkness, and they share an embrace, and he made it through. He defeated Tobias, the savior, Hansen, who was 18-0 with 12 knockouts previously. Torhund, unknown, unchallenged, but he comes out with the victory. All right, sorry to break into sports talk there. He was he was relatively known, I suppose. Um, but yeah, Torhund, man. I'm trying to figure out how Torhund kind of factors into the Lars storyline at all. I'm wondering if that's all going to tie together, because... He's kind of separate, and I know it's kind of like throughout Fielder, but I'm wondering if Torhun's ever going to connect to either the Beforeners um, who are running the the drug ring and the prostitution ring. I'm wondering if he's going to come into that storyline at all. I'm just wondering, because it's, it's a really cool thread, but it is it does feel like separate from the show. It feels very separate from the main uh, from the main plot. I like it. I'm not complaining. I just, I'm wondering if it'll all, t all tie together. So... I've talked about a lot of the episode. I want to kind of go into some questions I had for the end, something for the listeners to dwell on. Actually, before I go to questions, we had that brief scene where Lars goes to Madeline's house. Lars and Elfielder go to Madeline's house because uh, they found Madeline's picture in the storage unit, and I forgot to mention that. And I thought this scene was weird because y y what did, you know, Axel... Um, <laughs> Madeline's dad like go to like the grocery store and they fit into this very t short time window because Elfielder and Elfielder and Lars seemingly have like five minutes with M Madeline not even right they go in there and 
she's muttering in a different language. She's muttering in Alfielder's language. More clues that maybe she traveled back in time. And she's muttering numbers. And they write down the numbers, and later on in the episode, that's where they match the numbers to what she was saying. That's where they match the numbers in the storage unit. So, I was just kind of putting this together. Maybe, like, maybe that's all she's remembering, because we find out those end up being coordinates, right? And maybe she is muttering that because she had to remember that to get to that specific coordinate. I don't know how you wouldn't even know like where that is in the world without like a specific GPS tracker. So I don't know, maybe that's, maybe that's a bunk theory, but anyway, she's muttering those numbers and she also makes reference to the wall that they were on the wall. Now what wall? I have no idea. Um, but that's what she, that's what she knows it from. So that was all interesting. I thought that was, and I, I just thought it was weird how they had like two minutes basically to talk to her and they're like, come on, he's going home. Axel doesn't want her talking to anybody. So, um, you know, I think maybe just kind of some plot convenience, like you wouldn't call over the cops while your husband is out for like 15 minutes, you know? So I don't know, just a little interesting nugget from the episode while a fielder was going to her, uh, while a fielder was going to her, uh, <laughs> her, you know, trial, not her trial, but, you know, what would you call it? Like, her hearing about what happens with Wenke and the car. You know, you, she walks by a guy, and he's reading a book called Time is a One-Way Street, Why You Can't Go Back. So, you know, it's very much in the world, like, that this isn't a thing that happens, but, you know, the big news at the end of the episode is that there is a time hole, and we know the exact coordinates to it. So... That brings us to what is going on with Lars and the guy in the beginning and the end of the episode. What is going on with this, um, this, I think they said Asturu. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but I looked it up and it is, um, like a new age, like it would be somebody from like the modern times, uh, finding, um, reviving the old religions or believing in, um, old pagan religions, I suppose. So he makes reference to Odin, for instance. Now, is he real? I I kind of think no, right? Um, when he taps Lars's head at the end of the episode, kind of think it's all in his head. It's very strange because he's like trying to get in at the end of the episode. He has like he like puts his foot in the door and he's trying to force his way in. I just thought it was weird when the drug dealing neighbor was like, "Everything good with you?" and Lars me like maybe it looks like Lars is talking to himself that's kind of what I, that's kind of the vibe I got from that interaction and later on in the episode when he's already in his house he said that the drug dealing neighbor was kind enough to let him in and I just don't think he would do that uh, he seems pretty loyal to Lars and I just don't think he would let a stranger in his house so um I kind of think this guy is in Lars's head he's helping him solve the crime why would he know the coordinates he presents himself as the first guy who's ever time-traveled, and he wants to help crack the case. And he is like, Lars, don't you remember me? I was the first one who popped out. And, you know, maybe he would have a vested interest in joining them, so that could, you know, go against my theory that he's not real. But I just thought, like, when he tapped Lars's head, I was like, all right, this guy is in his head. That's the clue. That's, that's, that, that means he's not real. So I don't know. I don't know if you guys think anything differently than that, but... That's kind of what I was thinking about that character. You know, the mysticism in this episode. The ending shots are filled with um, Erd's visit, the audio of Erd's visit to some sort of prophet, some sort of wise woman. And 
she's giving advice to her and she can't cure her cancer. She called it the growing rocks, which I thought that was an interesting way to put it. And she said she can't cure that, but she licks her blood and she lets her know that life is a maze that we're all trying to get out of. And Erd is skeptical. She's like, what? Does that mean I should just off myself? And she says, no, but nobody goes through the maze unpunished. And my advice for you is follow the dog and get out of the maze. And that's where she lost me. I was up with I was I was with her until follow the dog. But don't know what that is. Have we seen any dogs in this in the show? I not that come to my head right away. But I'm wondering what follow the dog means. So it'll be interesting to see if that has a payoff in the last episode. But I liked how that was all done because you have like that intermixed with. Lars by himself at the house, like with Lars at uh, at his house, um, trying to figure out the clues and still like wondering what that Astari guy was doing. And also you have Al Fielder and she's hooking up with the Harbor Cop. So um, all that is like kind of happening at the same time and it's pretty artfully done. I really liked the ending of that episode. So and I just wonder what the significance will be for Erd. And I wonder, you know, she's been a pretty big character throughout the series. And I just want to know, like, why are we getting this? Like, why is that the ending of the penultimate episode? Why are they choosing to have Erd kind of be the character that's, you know, that we're seeing this through or that we're getting the audio from? And then what? why is the Harbor Cop doing this? What is in it for him? I speculated that he's working with the media, but why? What is he part of the Beforeiner group too? What is, what's going on with him? going to be interesting to see if that pays off. And then since Lars knows the location of the time hole... You got to figure they're going to visit it. Are we going to like go through the time hole? Is that something that's going to happen? Are we going to stay in this world? Or are we going to go back to the past maybe? I don't know. So those are all things I'm interested to see. And yeah, another another good one. I can't believe I'm going to be finishing up season one. been having a really good time. I think this is such a good show. And I'm really glad that I have been covering it. So uh, let me know what you guys are thinking. Uh, you can always email me, wakeupwinden at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at the same handle, wakeupwinden, or real Brian Hickey. That's also my other handle. And, yeah, I'm trying to figure out what to do next after uh, after the Beforeners. And, um, yeah, I've been really getting, I really want to do Station Eleven at some point. I'm just just trying to maybe go in that way. We'll, we'll, see, we'll see how it goes. I might want to have somebody to talk about that one with, but... The Beforeners has been really fun just to cover and kind of kind of get this project going and glad to see that you know people are still still downloading it. So thanks so much everybody. Hope you're having a great week, a great day wherever you are. Take care and we'll see you later. Bye bye.